0: Definitely. All right. We have three viewers in. I'm going to get the show rolling just to save some time. We have one viewer saying, hola, all the way from Florida. Hey, Jasmine. And we have Shannon all the way from New Orleans. (laughs) Awesome. All right. So let's get going. Thank you everyone for tuning in. This is another episode of Siren Sunday. Holler, Lindy. Right, so another episode of Siren Sundays, season three, episode two, and we have the amazing Crystal Ocean, aka Ambrose. I can't even say aka Ocean, because it's Crystal Ocean, because everyone was like, Ocean is her last name, right? And I'm like, yeah, okay, we can go with that. (laughs) The CEO and founder of the Bahamas Plastic Movement. Hi, Crystal. Welcome to the show. Hi.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Definitely, of course. Oh, and we have a hello from Alaska, and again, New Orleans. Hello, all the way from Cambridge. All so, right, so let's get started. How are you? How and where are you? Exactly.
1: I am great. I'm feeling really good. Uh, glad to be alive and just basking in gratitude. And I am in Malmo, in my Bohemian accent, Sweden. <laughs> so I'm in Sweden.
0: <laughs> Lovely. So tell us a little about yourself. What's your background, some of your work experience um, that has brought you to this moment right now with Bahamas Plastic Movement?
1: Um, So I'm from the Bahamas, uh, born, bred, dead. Uh, Grew up in Nassau. Went to and Bailey, pace of pride, okay? Um, Shout out to the public school system. (laughs) Um, Always knew I wanted to do marine science and pursued it right after high school. I worked at Stewart's Cove when I was 17, got my dive master certification and just progressed uh, throughout my career. So from Stewart's Cove, I became comfortable in the water, right? Like we all noticed like, well, you would relate to this growing up in the Bahamas. Um, a lot of people, we have a relationship with the ocean, but there still is inherent fear. Um, and I love the ocean, but I was still scared to go in water where my foot couldn't touch, you know? Um, so when I started working at Stewart's Cove, I had to confront um, my love of the ocean with the fear of being in deep water. Uh, so I built that comfort and then from there I ended up working at the Atlantis Aquarium for almost two years and there I learned about animal uh, biology and then from there I became a serial intern and moved from Nassau and lived on the Lee Stalkin Island where I worked at the Perry Institute for Marine Science, then transitioned to the Cape Luther Institute, then four Far field station and there I learned more about conservation. Um, and then I went off to study and here I am now. And we'll get into how I got to the plastic moment later on.
0: Definitely, definitely. So tell us about how it was for you, because you are the one of the 2020 recipients of the Goldman Environmental Prize. And there was recently something posted about you on BBC, the teacher that got the Bahamas to ban plastic. How did that feel for you?
1: Uh, super surreal. Um, also, the latter, the BBC. Um, article, I didn't even know that was a thing. I woke up and I opened my phone and it was in a group chat. I was like, well, what this is? <laughs> uh, so <laughs> um, I'm still like, you know, grappling with all of it, uh, that and the Goldman and and this surge of love and support and, and expression of inspiration, you know, at, at the hands of me and my work and it's just been something that's been so surreal, um, yet gratifying, and and brought about a lot of feelings of humility and, and gratitude. Um, yeah, I still feels unreal.
0: And it's amazing. And even when I had done one of my first papers for my master's, I was so excited because I chose, I think I even told you, I chose you as an example of a good conservation leader. And I was so excited when I got to cite one of your papers. I was like, oh my gosh, look at me citing this Bahamian marine scientist in one of my papers. So that was just so phenomenal. So I know it must feel so amazing for you. But let's talk a bit about it. What even inspired this? Like what made you decide to say, you know what, I'm going to start working with plastic pollution. And and then you grow to this Bahamas plastic
1: movement. Um, it's kind of started when I worked at Atlantis. Uh, we had this um, sea turtle exhibit, the Hibiscus Lagoon. If you've been there, you know all the green turtles. They converge in that that pond, like lagoon, and. Um, we had this one sea turtle that she had isolated herself from the population. She wasn't eating and we called in the marine vet who came in, did some x-rays and noticed that she had intestinal blockage. Uh, so for about two and a half days, we went into the rectum of this turtle and we pulled out plastic piece after plastic piece. And my job at the time was to hold down her front flippers. And if you know our sea turtles, they have this uh, gland. That secretes salt water whenever they come up to shore to lay their eggs, um, protects their eyes from the sand. Uh, so the turtle started releasing these tears. And at the time, I didn't know this was a thing. I was like, Lord, she's crying. <laughs> so I start crying. And oh, that's wow. when I made the vow that I would never n- drop another piece of plastic on the ground or litter, right? So it started and ended there for me. But I was still a serial. Um, plastic offender, right? I was still using styrofoam. I didn't use like washing dishes. I had a whole drawer of plastic forks. You know, I used to go by Wendy's and grab all these straws and curl my hair. I know if you all know about that. Um, <laughs> then in 2012, um, this guy, Marcus Erickson, he came to the Bahamas. Uh, he came to Luthera. And at the time, I had just moved back home from Ohio. I was studying um, my associates and I had just started working at the Cape Luther Institute. So I was maybe. Uh, But two weeks into the job, right? Poor college student, first job, first paycheck, ain't reached yet. But here comes this guy, Marcus, and he's talking about this expedition, this opportunity of a lifetime to study uh, this, this threat of plastic that was in the ocean, that was causing all of this environmental harm. And this trip would sail from the Marshall Islands in the Pacific, all the way to Japan to study the Western garbage patch. And this was a year after the Japanese tsunami and earthquake. So they wanted to see how fast um, garbage was getting into this, this gyre. And a gyre or a garbage patch, it's just a circulating current that traps marine debris. Um, so he's talking about this trip. And I was like, I won't go. And then he dropped that price. He's like, yeah, it costs 10 grand. And then you got to find an additional, maybe five to $7,000 to get yourself there. Oh. I got ticket, but I go in. I was like, I want to go. Uh, so I wrote this proposal and I sent it to all my professors, all environmental organizations in the Bahamas. And crickets it was dusty. You know, what he respond. <laughs> and I was like, Well, I guess it ain't meant to be. And literally a week before the trip set sail, I get an email from Marcus. And before I open that email, I was like, Man, must see more bad news. And I open it and he's like, Hey, Crystal, um, someone just canceled and there's a free seat on the boat for you. Meet us in the Marshall Islands in a week. So I had a week to raise enough money to get a visa so I could get back into the States to travel. And it all just worked itself out. And before I knew it, I was traveling halfway across the world with my little backpack to go on a boat with strangers. And um, this is a very long intro into the fact that I spent 14, was it? No, it was almost about 19, 20 days um, living in the middle of the ocean. And when we first started, I was really seasick. And I was like, this ain't make no sense. Why are these people studying garbage? Get me back to land. <laughs> this is what I'm saying in my mind because I'm inebriated by the nausea. Mm-hmm. But once that subsided and I realized that we were in the middle of the ocean, there was no um, airplanes flying over us, no islands in the distance, no boats passing us by. It was just us wildlife and waste. That's all that we would see. And um, one day in particular, we pulled up on this netball And a net ball is this huge conglomerate of plastic that's kind of magnetized, if you will, Um, uh, plastic and fishing rope and all this other debris that just kind of formulates together. And this was in about 16,000 feet of water. So we get out of the boat and we snorkel over this thing in this deep blue Pacific. And there was a school of mahi-mahi under there. And then we took a deeper look into the net and there was a Sergeant Major that was caught up in the net and it was dead. And that was really significant for me because when I started working at Stewart's Cove, it was the first fish that I learned to identify. So I was like, how my boy from an Atlantic in the Bahamas (laughs) gets real here, you know, tangle up in this net, now he's dead. And I just remember being so frustrated and we um, brought that net ball back onto the boat and dissected it and found 20 different types of ropes and netting. Uh, we found toothbrushes and toys and combs and uh, plastic forks. And I was just like, man, why humans so nasty? Why they got to be polluting the ocean like this? And then I started looking through the stuff and I was like, oh, you know, a toothbrush just like the one in my backpack. I'm like, oh, that fork, I have a whole drawer them at home, you know. So I realized in that moment um, that I was a huge part of the problem, that I was a huge um, offender to the ocean that I claimed to love dearly. And it was there where I realized that if I could be a part of the problem, I could be a part of the solution. And that's where it kind of came about. But once I got back to the Bahamas, I was like, well, that was a fun trip. I'm gonna go back to scuba diving and doing coral surveys because who wanna study garbage? That's not fun. Um, <laughs> but the more, <laughs> the more that I kept learning about it and I was like, wow, this is really toxic for human health. Wow, look at all the animals that are impacted wow, Bahamians aren't responsible solely for um, debris that we find on beaches. A lot of this stuff is washing in from other parts of the world and no one knew about it. Uh, So I started the research project called the Plastic Beach Project. And I wanted to know how plastic was moving over space and over time on beaches in the Bahamas. And I would get students to come to the beach with me and bridge that gap between community and science. And every time we were there, I would jokingly say, guys, this is the Bahamas Plastic Movement, you know, just laughing. I, I don't know where it came from, but I would just say it uh, and not thinking anything of it. And then a few months later, I was like, I'm going to start a nonprofit. And that was the first name that came to mind. Um, so, yeah, that's that's how I got from there to here. Definitely. You
0: know, that's funny when you say the sergeant major was the fish you saw. I That was one of the first fish that I also learned to identify. And I always used to joke and say, this is the most patriotic fish I've ever seen because it literally looked like it had our flag colors. So that must that must have really been like such a monumental moment for you. So in, in the process that you um, have gone through, what are some of the challenges that you've faced to finally get to this moment?
1: Ooh. A lot of challenges. Um, Let me see how I could be politically correct here. When I started this work, I was a part of another entity, and um, that's where the research got started. Um, But there was, as I wanted the project to grow, um, someone said to me that this isn't new science, you know, it's not worthy of having more research dedicated to it, Um, you know, so there was that opposition. and then I was just like, I have to, I have to do this for myself, um, and I have to do this for the community that matters, which is, which is the Bahamian public and the children uh, that I care deeply about. Um, and that's when I started. So when it started and the work grew more, it was like still just me you know trying to manage everything and then i left the bahamas to go back to school so there was the time like how do i build this thing and also build my education so it was always one foot in one foot out and then it's like how do you fund this work you know so funding has always been a a big thing and i always tell people um our organization it's a backpack organization it goes wherever i go we don't have facility. Um, We don't have storage space outside of my friend's garage, my dad's storage room, um, and other organizations that let us use their space or keep things there. So funding, capacity, um, and opposition were were probably the biggest challenges.
0: Definitely. And so we all know that you were one of the most, well, I hope that I'm correct in saying one of the most, because I know it was you and you had your students. One of the most monumental parts of the plastic ban, or the plastic ban 242. So, what was it like? And I know I've watched some of the videos that you posted about it when you took those kids in there to meet with the Minister of Environment and, and have that pitch to them to have this plastic ban. Like, what, what did that feel
1: like? Um, that was a long time coming. And just uh, for the audience, you know, so our organization, Bahamas Plastic Movement, we focus on raising awareness and finding solutions to plastic pollution through youth and this has been going on since 2013 and in 2013 i made um, five goals that and one of them was by 2020 i wanted to see the bahamas ban um, single-use plastics or plastic bags at the time and um, a core component of our organization is our summer education program known as plastic camp Um, so we've had the program going for the last seven years and in our fourth year Which was in 2017. Um, I had just come back from the United Nations and they had an environmental assembly in Nairobi, Kenya and every country had pledged to ban single-use plastics and the Bahamas wasn't there. And I was afraid. I didn't want to tackle getting into the politics of trying to ban plastics. I was like what about the, these families who aren't connected to the environment because they have other issues like trying to feed their family? How is a tax imposed on plastic um, going to help them? You know, and I had to realize that it wasn't a political issue. It was impersonal. Um, this was for the greater good. Uh, so I got those students together and we had a workshop, uh, a youth activism workshop, and our focus was how do we get into the air of the Minister of Environment and the Prime Minister um, to propose a ban on single-use plastic. So to do this, I had to bring in some additional help. So I brought in a social scientist and she taught the students how to write surveys. So they went out into the community and actually gauged the attitudes and perceptions to see if this is something that people wanted. And someone was like, why are you trying to take away my garbage bags? And someone was like, I'm tired of seeing them in the trees, you know? Mm -hmm. then we brought in a local lawyer, uh, Ronnie Carey uh, from Malutra, and she taught us all about legislation and how law worked in the Bahamas, because I had no idea. Um, And we looked at case studies from different countries, especially countries in the Caribbean, who had gone about a single-use plastic ban or a plastic bag tax, uh, which is what we were looking at at the time. And with her help, we were able to have this round table with the students about what they think would work, how they think the public would respond, and use that information, especially from our case studies, and draft this bill of what that ban would look like. Um, so we got the Minister of Environment to agree to a meeting with us, and we flew from Eleuthera, uh, Roxanne Eleuthera, to Nassau on the 3rd of January 2018. And we went in there, and we made the proposal, and quite often I've said that I was nervous, I, I didn't know what to expect. I didn't do any background research on what the government was working on. I was like, it's time, we need to do this. And the students were like, "Miss Crystal, we gotta have fun with this. We gotta go in there beating on the desk. And they wrote this song called, we are the change, we are the solution. We can fix this plastic pollution and ended up beating on the desk and singing that. And um, at the end of our presentation, we gave the minister three deliverables that we wanted. And one of them was to pass the, the bill that we wrote in the House of Assembly by the end of the first quarter of 2018, which would have been March. Um, And he obliged, he agreed to what we wanted. And he said, is that all y'all want? Just a plastic bag tax? Uh, We trying to ban all single use plastics. And he revealed that that is something that their ministry was working on, uh, which was news to me. I had no idea. Um, And I was like, all right, great. We're on the same page. And on Earth Day of 2018, which was in April, he announced that the Bahamas would ban single-use plastics.
0: And, and that's what a shining glory for our country. And I'm sure for you in that moment to know that this was happening and it has happened. Um, so what, are, can you give some tips? Like, how can people um, also be a part of this solution? Cause I know you said when you saw the pollution in the ocean, you saw the example of, Oh, there's a toothbrush. And this looks like exactly like the toothbrush I use. And a lot of people think that, Oh, just don't, throw trash on the ground, make sure to put it in a trash bin. But what are some ways that you think that people can decrease their plastic use to be more sustainable and, you know, more green?
1: Yeah, I think uh, first we have to acknowledge the reality of the fact that we live on an island, you know, almost 90%, if not more, of everything that we consume in the country is imported and it comes in plastic. So there's all this indirect plastic use. So you can be zero waste in the Bahamas, but it's a little bit more challenging. Uh, so I always like to tell people, meet yourself wherever you are. You don't necessarily have to go out and buy all of these fancy things. Um, but look the your cupboard. You got an old prego jar, old glass jar. Turn that into a, a reusable bottle You know, to take your water with you. Um, take some utensils from home and take it with you whenever you go out for takeout, Uh, invest in a reusable straw, or just say you don't want a plastic straw when you dine out and take your reusable bag to the store with you. You don't have to buy it new, take an old t-shirt and you can make your own bag. Tutorial is on our website, on our YouTube channel Um, and our student Abby will show you how to make that. Uh, So there's all kinds of ways that that you can can get started on your, your single use plastic free journey.
0: All right. What advice would you give to somebody who has like this passion in them, similar to like you had with your plastic ban <laughs> and how you've now created this NGO or nonprofit? What would you say to somebody who also wants to start a movement that could be even even not environmental, but just a movement that they have that they want to use to better the country?
1: Great question. Um, I would say always keep the end goal in mind, but focus on the present you know when I to be in this position you asked about the Goldman and the BBC earlier it's hard for me to believe all of this because I never set out for any of that I never set out for any accolades or anything like that I just saw a problem and wanted to do something about it and connected with the people who were closest to me who were great allies to make it happen um and I believed you know on on the hardest of days I believed and kept going, even when it was stressful, even when it was scary, even when this illusion of fear and doubt always presented itself, I would acknowledge that, but never accept it as my reality. Um, So I would always say to anyone who is getting started, don't be scared, boy, you got to just jump in there. You know, the best things in life are quite often on the other side of fear. And it's not an easy road. Like, this is all now on the back end, you know, like I said, this... This has been going on since 2012, 2013, and the recognition is just now coming in. And you gotta keep going and and keep believing. So don't be afraid, connect with people around you um, that believe in what you're doing and that can help you uh, grow. And yeah, step by step. Yeah, and always put it out there.
0: I think one of the things um, as a country is that we don't don't reach outside of our inner circle. Like it's just like how you said, oh, you sent proposals to, to other conservation organizations and to other people, I think it's so important to, to voice what you're trying to work on because somebody else out there may either be thinking something similar or very willing, you know, to support your vision. And, and yeah, like you said, just got to keep pushing. Like you, you started this in 2013 and now look, like you are all over international news. And I so proud to have you on my show to talk about this because it really just shows that hard work and persistence can really make change and, and be that change you want to see in the world but yeah. so what is next for crystal ocean
1: Ooh, child, what is next for me you know and again bringing it back to these awards it is a reminder not to get comfortable but the mm-hmm. goalpost has to keep moving you know because there's so much work to do so so much work to do um and when i think about the scope of plastic You know, now I get overwhelmed because it's like, I talk about it and I give like some solutions, which are solutions, but it doesn't change the fact that we still, even though our waste management systems are slowly, but hopefully surely beginning to improve in the country, there's still a lot of work that needs to be done there. Uh, When we look at this from the marine perspective, uh, we have tons of waste that's still washing up on our shorelines. Uh, Someone sent me an 11 minute long video from Harbor Island today uh, where they were walking on the east coast the atlantic coast of the island well on north eluthera facing the harbor island harbor and just for almost like a half a mile they're walking and it's just all kinds of plastic that washed in you know so what do we do with that how do we manage that and that's what's next for me <laughs> i'm not here in sweden on air i'm actually here uh, on a scholarship i got a scholarship that felt feel still so divinely aligned specific to marine debris threats and solutions uh, for the Caribbean region and I really felt like they made this for me <laughs> and yeah. um, what I'm working on is and every day this changes right sometimes I feel like I got a good grasp of my PhD uh, <laughs> theme, and then you know it hits you like so what do you mean by the word ocean what is plastic <laughs> so you're oh, like I you it <laughs> but um, that's my next step, right? It's like, how do we create marine debris management strategies, uh, not only for the Bahamas, but within the context of the wider Caribbean region? Uh, and that's just on the academic side of things and organization as well. Um, and what's next organization is how do we take the conversation from just plastic to waste and making sustainability accessible in the Bahamas? That's something that I'm really interested in uh, through the lens of waste. How do we get locals to re-envision waste as a resource, whether that's plastic, whether that's food waste um, that can be used to generate new soil? Um, These are these are the big picture things that's in my mind. So what's next? Just more work. <laughs> Work never stops. And I know we have
0: two questions from the audience and I think they're a bit related. So one is what are alternatives? And I think that's in relation to garbage bags. But we also have a question like so being zero waste in the Bahamas, which means as it says, you create zero waste, especially in regards to plastic pollution.
1: And Lindy wants to know you don't think we could
0: get close in the Bahamas? I think we could
1: get- I think we could get dead close, okay? And it's all about shifting the mindset. And if we can allow ourselves—and this is from my perspective—to to give up um, things that we're comfortable about, things that we that we subscribe to, other races, like oh, only white people is do things like that. I mm-hmm. I need my bleach you know, like stuff like that. And, and I'm not like teasing or mocking because it's hard. It's really hard to make that mental adjustment. Um, to making these small steps um, towards sustainability. And I think it's completely doable. And it's been done before. Like, think about our, our grandparents' flower bag panty, the, I don't know if you know, but rumba shoes, the old tire shoes. Like, you know, I remember my granddaddy used to make switcher and put it in the old peas can. Like, <laughs> they, were, they were like real waste. But now we're in this age of convenience that kind of complicates things and mm-hmm. and complicates because of our comfort. Um so I definitely think we could get dead close. And Lindy is gonna be the first example, the first Bahamian man to live a zero waste life if um, one doesn't already. ready? But
0: but like you said, I do think it really is people have to come down to their own level and be realistic with themselves, you know, and think about yeah. what are some of the ways that I can be zero waste or get dead close to zero waste. And it's as simple as um, I remember at b and when I was working at BNT, there was a restaurant that always um, used to serve all us breakfasts right down the street. And one day someone just was like, man, we get so much styrofoam when we get these breakfasts, you know, you get your tuna and grits. And mm-hmm. so one day someone just was like, maybe we should try to take Tupperware and see if they'll put it in our, you know, our mm-hmm. own Tupperware. And sure enough, the restaurant was like, yeah, man, if y'all do that, we'll take 50 cents off. Mm-hmm. And... And that was like, wow, just that simple. So now you within yourself have reduced it and you save 50 cents and that's people who was getting breakfast every day. And as simple as when you go to certain bars and restaurants, if you take your own cup and your own tumbler, I know a couple of bars in Nassau that are very willing to fill your cup for you. You take it home, they save time on washing whatever glass they might use or save money by not giving you a plastic straw or plastic cup. So it really is these small changes, right? That you have to make in your life. And Lindy says, well, you know, I <laughs> think a prego bottle for a switcher, but maybe can you share maybe one or two of the things that you've done to kind of get dead close to like a zero waste life?
1: Similar, um, when I lived on the uh all the pre-Covid times and I did the same thing. Um, Cheryl's in restaurant, Angie's or A&T's, like they knew that, oh, that's the girl who don't use plastic bags, right? So I call like, hey, share. I like get a chicken snack. I bring in my plate. She'd be like, okay, and it starts the conversation. Why you bring this plate? Why you don't want my plate? And you know, mm-hmm. like we can talk about. It. And they're like, okay, that makes sense. Like I understand. Um, so those are some of the things that I used to do. I used to not use um trash bags, uh, plastic bags in my garbage bin. Um, mm-hmm. I would save my food scraps and compost it, and then uh, any bottles that I had where I was working at the time, I could take it there for recycling. But who knows where that really went, right? Um,
0: so those are some of the
1: things. And I would take my cup with me anywhere that I go, never leave home without my reusable water bottle. Um, and those are the simple things that I would do. And try to make as much things at home as possible. I try new recipes um, so I don't have to buy something that comes in plastic or buying local fruit uh, wherever I could. Yeah, it was simple as it got for me. But I am not, my life is not zero waste. And I'm very open and honest about that. And that's another uh, piece of advice for anyone that's starting any journey. Um, Be open, you know. Um, My life is still heavily relying on plastic. My glasses are plastic. All my vitamins, well, some are in glass, some are in plastic. Um, Here, it's now where I'm living in Sweden, a lot of the food in the stores that I've been to, they come wrapped in plastic. So it's either, do I want, the cheaper fruit that's in plastic or the organic fruit that has less pesticides but it's still in plastic i I don't know it's just an ongoing conundrum so Mm -hmm. baby steps
0: yeah that definitely that's something i noticed as well in the uk you'd find like the bunch of bananas in the plastic bag way cheaper than even the bananas that are not in the plastic bag and you really stand there and have this moment within yourself like man i really i want some bananas and if i want to really stick with my budget you know it i can't keep buying these organic ones why are they putting these ones in a plastic bag anyway and even with oranges and things like that it's like we're not eating
1: the outside anyway um
0: right. but yeah so to, yeah, do-
1: sorry i was no, going to no. say if you want to take that, that conversation one step further and you look at where you are internally rela- in relation to where these fruits are grown and you know the carbon emissions that it took to get that food to you and it's like, everyone is complicit. And that's the, the thing, like we're all complicit no matter what we do, we're all complicit in um, environmental degradation in some form, whether that's you getting a new cell phone every year, where do those minerals come from? What's the labor like? And this is a little tangent that I've been exploring myself,
0: mm-hmm. but um,
1: we're all complicit, complicit, but we have to do the best that we can with the tools that we can. And those individual efforts spread out across the world, that's where the big difference happened, right? and yeah. you're part of the garden and you're part of the earth. Um, yeah. yeah. It takes one
0: person. And I know I was recently speaking with another person and I was saying, sometimes when I do outreach, a lot of people have the attitude of "How oh, me one could make that much trash. Like if I, if yeah. I just still use plastic straws, everybody else, you know, could stop and it's like no, but that's that's again with a shifting mindset, right? Like if everybody thought like that, or if just like a fraction of people thought like that, then we would still be in the problem we are now. Everyone has to actively kind of take themselves and think about what can I do. And we do have um, some questions actually in the audience. So we have. I don't want to mess up. Marjandi Finlayson. Can you talk about the increase of medical mask wearing in COVID times? How can we be safe and sustainable? Yes,
1: yeah, so there has been a major increase in the amount of um masks, and I have one right here. Hold on. <laughs> so I got two options, right? And just about being clear, like when I first moved here, I had this mask. Um I'm just kind of held onto it. But then I also got my androsia mask that I wear all the time and wash once a mm-hmm. week. Uh, so there's been a excess amount of uh, PPE that's ended up in the environment, um, especially ocean environments, terrestrial environments, um, globally because of this pandemic. But you can wear these and reuse them. But then there's also the question of feeling safe and secure. Like, right. oh, it's not double padded. I just trust in the Lord and go on my walk. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's (laughs) the only thing I can say is like reusable mask and make sure that you wash them. Mm -hmm. And I think that's
0: really what it is. You you, Because you can have like maybe three or four reusable masks. And like you said, if you don't feel comfortable wearing your one for the whole week, have your two or three that you wear Um, and alternate and then just wash them like at the end of the week. Um, so that's definitely one way. And and it, it amazed me. You walk on the streets and all you see on the side now, you know, are these masks. And I'm like, Well, what do you have on your face if your mask on the ground, you know? But yeah, it's, and a even, shame.
1: And it's it's ridiculous. And um, but it's like the era that we're in right now, and even um the waste that's been generated from from COVID. I have this ad that pops up on my YouTube about buying stock in plastic. I was like, these people don't know who they're trying to sell this to. <laughs> and it's because- like, so yeah, FBI the FBI agents lock in. I, you know what I mean? I need to put the tape on the mic. I'm the, I'm the camera. But it, there's been a surge in um, stocks of plastic because now in the COVID times, it's being sold as it's sterile, it's safe. Like this is what's needed. And even the plastic industry have- tried to lobby against all of these plastic bans that are in place and trying to get those to be reversed, um, all in the name of safety, right? Mm -hmm. So it's all like just a money scheme and it's a big dirty industry, literally and figuratively.
0: (laughs) That's true because I know I have been seeing like an increase in places that want to now wrap their metal utensils in plastic as a sign to show this has been sanitized. And I'm just kind of (laughs) like, Or I could just wash it off, you know. And I think, mm-hmm. but you know, everyone has to kind of battle with their level of comfortableness when it comes to this pandemic. So, can knock them. But I do think if you bring your own utensils, you know, that's even just a bit safer still. Cause now you have had this with you and it, it's potentially COVID secure. Um, I know yeah. we had another, we had a comment about I think we need to dispose of garbage properly, which is the issue in the Bahamas. And
1: yeah. That's um, a topic. <laughs> that one is very nuanced, right? Because you could put your garbage in the garbage tin, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like all people say, but you got to track where that garbage goes. So if I'm living on an island, for example, on a where mm-hmm. in almost every settlement, there is a dump. It's not even a landfill. It's not like properly engineered, right? So even though you're putting your things in the garbage tin, they're going into the dump where it's open pit burning, that toxic fumes, all the dioxins and stuff is going into neighboring communities. The wind is blowing that trash from the dump right back out into the road, crossing over into the ocean. And nothing is recycled, nothing is recovered. Um, And then you you get this buildup of methane because all the food waste and all the things that are just mixed together. So it's not a a question of just the dump, right? It needs Mm -hmm. to be waste. Um, management right at the source. So waste separation, uh, waste recovery, um, and making sure that these landfills, which are not the most sustainable, making sure that they're they're managed properly. Um, so it's it's really tricky. Mm-hmm. So you got Nassau, all of the garbage goes to one place and you know, that's been revamped lately. Um, so that's doing really well. But if you go on this family islands, like mm-hmm. it's different and the geography of the Bahamas makes this whole waste issue so complex. Right. Yeah, definitely. Because um, I know there was an island I was visiting at one point, and the
0: person I was with was like, oh, and I just have to take my garbage to the dump. And it, it yeah, okay, I didn't yeah. say the island right. Okay, good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I had to make sure I had to be really careful. And it literally was just almost like just this open area where it looked mm-hmm. like they had cut back the limestone rock a bit. You know what I mean? A little hilly, even though other countries are yeah. flat. And and they just threw everything in this one area. And my assumption was they burned every you kind of see where mm-hmm. things were burnt. I'm like, oh man, this is not yeah. but this is
1: the only option right that people have. So right. it definitely does start way up yeah. above our heads. Yes. You'd be surprised. I've been to several Bahamian Islands and since you kept the names protected, I will as well. Um <laughs> uh, one island, they have their waste in their backyard. They lived on a cliff. Um, and this waste was right at the edge of the cliff. And you look over the styrofoam, the Coca-Cola um, plastic bottles are uh, just floating away in the ocean. And on another small key, um, their dump is right at the the back of a mangrove. So all of that that leakage is going into the mangrove, waste is blowing into the mangroves, and it's just not being addressed. And again, those toxic fumes are going right into that small community. So, mm-hmm. yes.
0: Yes it's wild and i know i saw this i like to call them fun facts and i feel like Mm -hmm. i might have even seen this on the bahamas plastic movement website which is bahamasplasticmovement.org for anyone who wants to check it out (laughs) and it's like every single piece of plastic that's ever been made is still in existence like to this day like and that blew my mind because we've been using plastic for years like these things outlive us and are going to kill us and we just can't stop making it, you know? So we have to find um, better waste management, you know, just to get these kind of recirculated back into the system. Mm-hmm. And we did have another comment about the Tupperware was pre-COVID. I know for me it was, and I found that a lot of people don't want to take your Tupperware or your own cups and stuff now because they're they're worried about that um, COVID risk. I don't know if it's been the same for you and your experience.
1: It is, yeah. Or they would take your cup and then still put it in a plastic or disposable cup and then pour it. I'm like, that defeats the purpose. But yeah, it's, it's more tricky now.
0: And I've seen that. And I was just like, why didn't you just put it right in my cup? Oh, and this is pre-COVID. They were like, oh, uh, we have to measure it. I was like, OK, well, can you keep using that cup for me then? Because I'm sure I'm going to get more drinks. So just being aware helps. But um has mm-hmm. a comment. Well, you know, in some places, they used to fill in holes and caves to avoid having pits in the yards. Um. Mm-hmm. That- Filling holes in like caves with trash. I'm thinking that's what he means. Yeah. I, I don't know. But, but it is, I guess he probably means because back before we really had really good connection between the islands. That's the only option people had. Because, you know, mailboats take forever to.
1: Yeah, it does. And I remember too, um, and I've shared this story before. Maybe I shouldn't share it now, but I remember when I was younger and we had just moved. um, Uh, into this area and it was like desolate it wasn't built up or anything so we were the only home on that block uh the garbage people weren't coming by so we had to like throw the trash in the bushes and like that haunts me now that I am able to build and connect to the detriment of that act you know Mm. I'm like damn we could we're supposed to do better but other families were doing it too and it's just Feeling like that was the only option, I guess, you know, like no judgment now. You no know, mm-hmm.
0: better, do better. No. Okay. And back to Lindy's comment, he's just saying they used to use trash to fill holes instead of soil for construction purposes, I guess. But mm-hmm. even that construction and the environment is a whole whole another topic. Um yeah. but
1: what um one but more even point. okay.
0: No, no, but even
1: continue. I was just going to say, even to tie in construction and the environment, uh, there's so much um, advancement in architecture. And maybe this is not so advanced, but I'm really fascinated with earthships, right? Where they take discarded waste materials like tires, glass bottles, and um, plastic, and they use it to build, you know, the tires are your foundation, the plastic, the glass, the aluminum cans, those are your walls. Uh, These are climate smart homes that are also hurricane resistant, so there's, again, that revisioning of waste. Is it waste or is it a resource? Right. Because
0: I have actually, and I remember this was, at, I think it was a jollification ye- maybe a couple of years ago where there was a person who was using tires to make outdoor mm-hmm. furniture and then even earrings with the smaller pieces. And I was like, this is phenomenal. Like this is such a great, and that's perfect for outside, right? Because they can sit in the rain and you still got somewhere to sit in it, a little softening, you know, but... Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's definitely like you just said, looking at it as a resource or a waste. Um, mm-hmm. And we do have a question: um, What do you think is the best way to handle garbage? And you touched a little bit on that when you started talking about separation.
1: Yeah, I think uh, waste separation. From from what I've seen, for example, um, here in Sweden and in Norway, where I've lived as well, when you take out your trash, there are eight bins. <laughs> right? Between six to eight bins for everything from batteries to diapers, to food waste, um, to um, your plastics, your cans, your bottles. And here there's a pan system. So on your plastic bottles or your aluminum cans, you have to pay, let's say maybe five cents extra in tax whenever you buy something um, in that product, in a plastic bottle or in an aluminum can. And for you to get that money back, you save all of those cans and bottles and you put them into this machine and you get that money back and you spend it in store. Um, And that's a great way for them to recover these products and actually recycle them. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's one way. There's also waste to energy. I haven't done my due diligence on researching it to see how it could work for the Bahamas. Uh, Does that mean we need to generate way more waste just to get this thing to work? Um, Mm -hmm. I need to do some more research. Uh, But I think source separation is, is the best thing.
0: Right. And I know I did get a question earlier that just was on your view with Bahamas Plastic Movement and working with other conservation agencies or even just like government agencies or corporations. What's that been like in regards to this movement
1: um, going forward? It's been the foundation. Mm -hmm. You know what I I like to tell people I'm not self-made by any means. I am community made. Uh, (laughs) Everything that we've done with the organization has been through partnerships. You know, One Elutra Foundation, I shout out everybody right now, Space to Create, Harbor Island Green School, Cape Elutra Institute, Island School, Deep Creek Middle School. Um, Ministry of Environment, uh, Brief, BND, Alga Leader, International Organizations as well, right? Plastic Pollution Coalition, Last Plastic Straw, um, Clean Canteen, Chico Bags. These are the people that believe in our work. Johnson Ohana Foundation, Life of Key Foundation. I could go on and on. But these mm-hmm. are the people that help advance and move this work forward. It's not just me. Um, So I I mentioned this before, but I share these awards and these accolades with every single student, organization, community member, and almost every citizen of the Bahamas as well that supported this work because I can't do it alone. You know, Mm -hmm. when I call and be like, hey, y'all. We could use you center to have camp, please. Or hey, um, we having a free camp. Can y'all give us some free water? Uh, we need mm-hmm. a ride to the beach. Your truck free. Like these are the people that step up and and help us out. You know. Um, and also big shout out to Will Simmons, um, founding director, of space to create the Harbor Island Green Schools. Dear friend, who has been you know rocking since the inception of the organization. Uh, so so many friends have have helped make this happen. So anyone that's interested in starting the movement see who shares the same interests, who's on the ground, and who can help you yeah. propel your work forward. And on that token too, I just want to say even though the highlight is on, you know, our organization and the plastic ban, we did bring it to the ministry. And the minister did say, you know, seeing the kids really fired him up to push it forward. Uh, But there's a team of amazing women in that office who wrote the new legislation, wrote the new bill, um, did all the social media graphics, and they made all of that stuff happen. Um, So they deserve their flowers as well. So big up to everybody in the Ministry of Environment's office.
0: Yeah, and this, honestly, I feel so moved. I'm probably even a little corny if I say just emotional about it, because when you said, I'm not self-made community-made, that's just so beautiful. And that really just shows of connecting, collaborating, and networking. You know, we are I always say we're connected. You know, we're still connected by the ocean. This is what we thrive on. And the fact that you had so much help is just so inspiring, especially to people who have things that they'd like to get done and they're worried that no one's going to want to help them, no one's going to care. There is going to always be somebody, some organization, some corporation willing to support your vision, but it's always important just to be passionate and persistent. And you definitely embody that. From 2013 to now, you are a shining example of that. And we are so proud to have you as a gem in our crown of jewels in our country. Oh, Lord, <laughs> so we, we know you
1: come back. <laughs> Listen, no, I'm coming back. Always one foot in, one foot out, you know? Yeah. That's that's never going to stop. I'm here to build myself up so I can come back and give. And that's always been the situation. You can't keep me away for too long. Definitely. And so, and just... if.
0: Some final thoughts for us. Like what would you say to someone who would want to get? In? Oh, I think I think we did.
1: Mm. Yeah, we did.
0: Are you still there, Crystal? Yeah, you can hear uh, me. Yeah. What okay. um, yeah, I can hear you. How can someone get
1: involved with Bahamas Plastic Movement? Uh, go on our website or our Instagram page. Um right now we're <laughs> kind of dormant, with virtual virtual um, because mm-hmm. of the pandemic um, but summer, oh, fingers crossed, if I could get home, if I could find which country, let me connect, um, we're going to have a program, <laughs> so if anyone's interested in volunteering um, that opportunity might be available so if you're interested in volunteering, if you want to support us, uh, we need more support with donations so org slash donate you can send us one little $2, $5 it all adds up, goes a long way Um, And that's the best way to to assist and connect.
0: Right, and any final thoughts that you would have for Bahamians out there who may be interested in pursuing something in conservation, plastic pollution, or just environmental sector in general? What would you say Mm -hmm. to any Bahamian or any person out there really?
1: Mm -hmm. I would say connect, go to the beach, go in the corpus forest, with the one on Adelaide name, the primeval forest? It's beautiful, okay. i to say all this to say, just connect with nature, man. The Bahamas is so beautiful. And I remember when I first had to leave Nassau, I didn't know how I was gonna cope without the mall or Galleria, you know, (laughs) when I had to live on this isolated island. And it was there where I realized how much I was taking my country for granted, just the wealth of beauty that we possess, uh, the wealth of intelligence in our people, the pride we got as Bahamians. That alone is enough to turn over um, any conservation matter, you know. So I would say um, celebrate where you are, celebrate your environment, and really live that hashtag, hashtag I live where you vacation. Really live that golden snorkel, go play and plant in a mangrove, you know, like see what is in your backyard. And don't just praise it just for touristic purposes, but for your own well being start there connect and then branch out see who's doing what you're interested in volunteer Mm -hmm. and just show up
0: definitely oh man that's powerful as rodney munger would say Uh, (laughs) right i totally agree i know one of the things that is so so important for people to you know just become active and get involved is to get that appreciation for it Mm -hmm. and i think i'm going to say a lot i don't want to say all but a lot of bahamians actually take for granted what we have i I can count Mm -hmm. I can't count the amount of times I've gone to a beach with someone, or even like you said, primeval forest, or just taking a picture of this scenic area that was not just a beach, mind you. And someone was like, wow, that's in the Bahamas? Like that's here? And it's like, yes, explore your backyard. Don't take for granted what we have because You don't want to realize what you got when it's gone, you know? So so by reconnecting with nature, that's really what is going to help inspire other Bahamians to get involved. And so I implore you all to take this time while y'all working remotely, go explore your parks, go explore nature, go explore your beaches, go explore your islands. There's so much that this country has to offer, and we've really only scratched the surface with our beaches. So... Yeah, um, it doesn't seem like we have any more questions, so I'll use this time to start wrapping up. I know it's late there. I don't want to keep you up too late. You got a lot of hard work to do. oh, uh, no, don't bang so, me. <laughs> right. Yeah. And thank you everybody who was tuning in, who's contributed and asked questions. You are now on Sundays season three episode two. Tune in in a week or two. We're gonna actually have Casarina from Brief talking to us about youth. Yeah, I know. I got another person featured in articles. I was like, wow, this lineup is really good. So we'll yes. be talking to Casarina from Brief. And I want to also take the time. Thank you so much, Crystal. I thank have you been dying me. to talk to you, dying to connect to you. So happy we finally got to do this. And I'm very excited to see what the future holds for you because I know it's gonna be absolutely amazing everyone remember it is not the ocean that separates us it what connects us what connects us i'm just like stumbling over my words and i hope to see you all here again and tune into the after show on clubhouse app if you're there and see you next time thank you so much crystal bye, bye. thank you